0: Would you stand with us as we begin our service with prayer? George, would you kindly lead us?
1: amen You take your red hymnal this morning and turn to 598598 598 in the red. to it. Yes, sir. One, six, four in the red. <coughs> Do you have a reason for this hymn this morning? Amen. One, six, four. <coughs> 164 in the red.
0: Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Philemon and it's going to be done in the fashion of a responsive reading. And We'll do this the same way as we would normally in the hymnal, uh, one verse for each side. So when you come to that, Page eight sixty, eighteen sixty, eighteen sixty one. When you come to that, please stand with us. Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord, Jesus Christ.
2: I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers.
0: Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be
2: active in sharing your faith
0: so that you will have
1: a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ.
0: Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother... Have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ,
2: I appeal to you for my son Onesimus.
0: Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me.
2: I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you.
0: I would have liked to keep him with me so that I could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel.
2: But I did not want to do anything without your consent.
1: and not forced.
0: Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good.
1: No, no longer as, as a slave, slave but, but better as a slave, slave. But better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very, very dear, dear to me, but ever dear to, me, dear to you, both as, as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Lord.
0: So if you consider me a partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me.
1: If he has done anything or owes you anything, charge it to me.
0: I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self.
1: I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart.
0: Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask.
2: And one thing more,
0: prepare a
2: guest room for me because I hope to be restored
1: to you in answer to your prayers.
0: Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings.
2: And so do you mark Aristarchus, Demas, And And my fellow fellow
0: workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father in heaven, we pray that you would accept this reading cheerfully and happily as we have brought it to you and that you would add your blessing to it, that you would bless this congregation, bless our time as we study in your word. In the name of Christ, we ask. Amen.
1: You take your brown hymnal this time and turn to number 506. 506 in the brown.
2: Our scripture text this morning is the book of Philemon. We're in a series in living by faith and we're Looking at very aspects of uh, very aspects of life, and to see uh, how we're doing in terms of implementing God's responsibilities given to us. Our last study analyzed Jesus' teaching on faithful children from the Book of Matthew, chapter 18, in which the disciples had been arguing among themselves as to who of them was the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus set a little child in their midst and said, and I'm reading here, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. We learn that God instructs parents to teach their children about Him, which presupposes that, of course, children can learn about God. Otherwise, Christ would not have commanded that. In verse 6, Jesus affirmed that there were little children who believed in him and warned his disciples not to cause them to sin on peril of their own salvation. Some scary verses there when you think about it. We looked at some examples of believing children in the Bible. Samuel, who became a prophet and a priest, the little servant girl in Haman's household, he was full of leprosy, and it was her that instructed his wife that there was in Palestine a prophet that could help him and heal him. And that's how he learned uh, the gospel. We looked at the boy, Joseph, among others that we considered. We concluded with a charge to believing children. Number, obey your parents in all areas where they do not ask you to sin. And honor your parents. The so two things. Obey your parents. Honor your parents. That is, give them the due respect of their position of authority over you. Well, today I want to talk of fidelity in one's vocation. That is, how do we, as believers in Christ, conduct ourselves in the workaday world in which we live? Philemon gives us a lot concerning that. He deals with a servant called Onesimus. So as we come to our study Let us ask for God's blessing. Lord, sometimes, many times, uh, a book in Scripture goes for pages and pages and chapters and chapters and very long and cumbersome. Could read it in a day, but generally we don't. And then we come to the little book of Philemon with only 25 verses and it's only on one page. So help us to see that whether it's a thick book or a little book, it's the, if it's in the Bible, it's God's book and you have something to say to us uh, through these holy pages. And we live in a world where we have to work, we have to make a living, we have to support our families, And the book of Philemon answers a lot of these questions. So help us today, especially in our culture, because our economy is not doing the best these days. And there are people who, because of government handouts, don't even go to work. They just sit home and watch TV and get paid for doing it. So I pray that you will help us to see what our role is as Christian believers, followers of Christ. Give us your grace, we pray. Save whom you will. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Philemon today. It's only one page in your Bible. And we're going to consider this slave named Onesimus. This little book Philemon containing about 25 verses has much to say about the employer-employee relationship. But in biblical times, the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus was that of master-slave. Master-slave. It may shock us to some degree, to read in the Bible the truth that slavery existed in Christian estates. It was a cultural thing, largely due to a world which knew nothing of what we call the middle class. They did not have a middle class. Additionally, There was nothing known as a democracy. The two classes of the biblical days that were recognized were at polar extremes. You had the rich, and I might say the very rich, and then you had the poor. That was the two classes. Rich and poor. And each at polar extremes. But more importantly, these were the only two categories known or recognized in the Greco-Roman world. What is more, apart from the Christianized cultures of our day, much of the world is still divided up between the haves and the have-nots. There is no middle class in what we designate as third world countries. Why is that? Well, where the gospel is preached and believed and put into practice, slavery and servitude cannot long exist. While the Bible does not come right out and condemn slavery, it nevertheless lays down the principles of love and compassion, respect and equality of value for our fellow men, which are the seeds of destruction for slavery. the promotion of what Lincoln spoke of in his Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. You know how revolutionary that was? even for America. Yeah, 74 years earlier, William Wilberforce stood on the floor of the House of Commons in England, in the Parliament, for the first time to oppose the slave trade in which England's merchants were heavily entrenched to provide cheap labor for the West Indies sugar plantations. Listen to his appeal. This is Wilberforce. I wish exceedingly in the outset to guard both myself and the house from entering into the subject with any sort of passion. So he's basically saying, I'm not here because I'm mad or angry and I want to roast all of you guys. It is not their passions that I shall appeal to I ask only for their cool and impartial reason. And I wish not to take them by surprise, but to deliberate point by point on every part of this question. I mean not to accuse anyone, but to take the shame upon myself in common. Indeed, with the whole Parliament of Great Britain for having suffered this Horrid trade to be carried on under their authority. He's talking about the slave trade. He goes on. We are all guilty. We ought all to plead guilty. And not to exculpate ourselves by throwing the blame on others. And I therefore deprecate every kind of reflection against the various descriptions of people who are more immediately involved in this wretched business. So basically saying there, stop making denials of being participants or not in the slave trade. We all have to fess up. We're part of it. Maybe you're not bringing people in and from slaves from Africa in your boat. But when they get here, you buy them and you put them in your house and you make them their your servants and you have them in a lower <coughs> viewpoint. Five years earlier Wilberforce had been converted to Christ in part under the ministry of John Wesley. (coughs) His Christian objection to slavery was based on the biblical teaching that, and I'm quoting, from one man God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Acts 17, verse 26. And the truth of Genesis 1, where God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. On the council of John Newton, himself a former slave trader, but now an ordained bishop of all things, Wilberforce continued his fight against slavery in England for 20 long years. They weren't going to give up their slaves very easily. Uh Uh-uh. So he kept bringing the issue up to Parliament, they kept voting him down. Oh no, here comes Wilberforce again. And that's the way it went for 20 years. So he had many defeats. But after many defeats in the House of Commons, and just three days before he died, Parliament passed the Abolition of Slavery Act in 1833. Our church was founded in 1843, just 10 years past this proclamation. And some 30 years before Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. John Wesley's last letter before his death was written to Wilberforce in 1791, and this is what he wrote. Dear Sir, unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that execrable villainy, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature talking about slave trade. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But, if God is for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary and well doing go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. End quote. Continuing on in the read, reading this morning a tract, Wrote by a poor African, this is Wilberforce, saying, I was particularly struck by that circumstance that a man who has a black skin being wronged or outraged by a white man can have no redress. It being a law... In your colonies, that the oath of a black against a white goes for nothing. What villainy is this? End quote. So he's basically saying, if you were a black man, you can forget about the law supporting you because it ain't gonna do it. You have no legal rights. You can't even claim the law. And in his final statements he says that he who has guided you from youth on up I'm praying may continue to strengthen you in this and in all things. That's my prayer, dear sir, your affectionate servant, servant, John Wesley. So you see how they supported one another. Wilberforce is in the Parliament. He's taken all the heat of the House of Commons. But he's giving, getting support from John Wesley. What happened? There was a, uh, a the uh, documents that came forth contained an appeal on the basis of Christian love and faith. We have it in our text, verse four. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Notice the escalation of thought here. He appeals to him on your faith, verse 5, your love, verse 5, your faith, again, verse 6, your love, again, verse 9, and then finally, I appeal to you on the basis of love, verse 9. Now how has Philemon express his faith in Christ. Verse 4, faith in the Lord Jesus. That's how. Though Philemon is a master, right? He acknowledges Jesus as his Lord. We're dealing here with a man who has authority on the earth, but he's basically saying, as he writes, you know, I'm under authority. I can give orders to my servants and they snap too. But I have one to whom I must give an account. I have a master over me. Verse 6 speaks of Paul's prayer that Philemon actively share his faith so that he might experience a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And one verse I didn't reference, verse 1, there was a house church meeting in Philemon and Aphia's home. So this master an employer, is a true Christian at heart. His faith is not bogus. He is the genuine article, as we would say. And yet, and yet, he is a slave owner. His estate operates on the mechanism of human souls, which he has bought and paid for. He owns them. They serve him with their work. This does not mean that Philemon was a cruel taskmaster. We know that he is not that because Paul repeatedly refers to Philemon's love. Verse 5. I hear about your love for all the saints. Again, verse 7. Your love has given me great joy. And encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And yet, the way this is worded, it might appear that Philemon is loving towards his fellow Christians, but leaves room to question what he might be towards his slave employees. If we jump ahead here a little bit, there's something we discover about Onesimus that is pertinent to the whole story. Here it is, verse 11. Paul admits to Philemon, Paul's writing this letter, formerly he, referring to Onesimus, formerly he was useless to you How so? Verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Oh, now we're beginning to see a little light on the horizon coming in here. The Greek language here has a number of classes of if clauses. I've spoken about this before. If doesn't always indicate uncertainty or doubt. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 4, excuse me, Mark 4 verse 23, "If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear." Okay. So the word if is used there But the word if is not expressing doubt but is actually affirming a fact. If anyone has ears to hear and all of us have ears to hear let them hear. That is, use your ears and listen up. So that's one way that if is used in Scripture then yes there are if clauses in words in scriptures which do throw doubt or uncertainty on what is being said again let me quote from Jesus if you belong to the world it would love you as its own John 15 verse 19 said to his disciples Different usage. If you belong to the world, it would love you. So, this is an if statement that is contrary to fact. If you belong to the world, but you do not belong to the world because I chose you out of the world, you see. This is the way we normally use the word if in most of the times we speak. We express doubt. We express uncertainty. If it rains tomorrow, the picnic at the park downtown is called off. That's a doubt. We don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow, but... If it does rain, this is what we're going to do. Now, the issue then for us is to determine which way Paul is using the word if, when he writes to Philemon, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, referring to Onesimus, charge it to me. So, Is Paul saying, if Onesimus has wronged you, if he's robbed you, but I doubt that he has. Or is Paul saying, if Onesimus has wronged and robbed you, and I know he has. Let me say, you cannot tell from the English translation. But in the Greek text, Paul is affirming, not denying, that Onesimus has done these things. The context supports this as well. Because Paul goes on to say, verse 19, I will pay it back. Whatever Onesimus has done to you, I will pay it back. Oh, then Onesimus, did do something with regard to Philemon. So what we have here in Onesimus is a runaway slave. Now <laughs> Gone a long way to get to this, but this is what he is. He's a runaway slave and when he ran away, he didn't leave empty-handed. No, he stole from Philemon and left his master with this bad taste in his mouth. Onesimus was an ungrateful slave who neither appreciated my kindness to him nor respected my property, but he stole from me when he left. That's a bad taste. That's what happened. By the way, in the film Les Mis, a novel by Victor Hugo, The peasant Jean Valjean has just been released from prison after 19 years, five for stealing bread for his starving sister and her family, and 14 more for numerous escape attempts each time he was caught, and they added more to his sentence. Upon being released, he is required to carry a yellow passport that marks him as a convict despite having already paid his debt to society. So he's rejected at times by innkeepers who do not want to take in a convict. Valjean sleeps on the street where no one will bother him. This makes him even more angry. It even makes him more bitter. However, the benevolent bishop Myrel of Dajin takes him in and gives him shelter. And in the middle of the night, Valjean steals the bishop's silverware and runs away. He's caught by the soldiers. He's brought back. But the bishop exonerates him by claiming that the silverware was a gift. And at that point, he gives him two more silver candlesticks as well, chastising him in the hearing of the police. Oh, what's the matter with you? You left behind, you left in such a rust that you forgot these most valuable pieces. Referring to the candlestick. And the bishop then reminds him of the promise which Valjean has no recollection of making. That is, to use the silver to make an honest man out of yourself. In the film version, he says this, Remember, you are no longer a thief. With this silver, I have redeemed you. You are not your own. I have bought you a new life. A lot of gospel in this film, by the way. If you've ever seen it. In a truer and more biblical sense, Paul is telling Philemon that Onesimus must now be viewed as a brother in the faith and not as a thief who stole from him. Philemon, you got to switch gears here. you got to come up to something that is better than the vengeance you anticipate doing. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Oh, Philemon. You need to change your attitude towards Onesimus. Because the man is not the man you knew. Paul goes on, he's very dear to me. But even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Brethren, this is morality and this is forgiveness that only comes through Christian love and the truth of Christ. Verse 21, Paul ends with this. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Which is true. So what's going on here? Well, Philemon cannot love all the saints, verse 4, and hate Onesimus. Just can't do that. He cannot have full understanding of every good thing in Christ, verse 6, and not grasp his obligation to forgive Onesimus his sin. He cannot refresh refresh the hearts of the saints, verse 7, by his loving action, and then fail to love Paul in his request and Onesimus in his repentance. Brethren, the dynamic has changed. Onesimus must now be viewed any longer as a slave, as a thief, as a scoundrel. No! He is a brother in Christ and a member of the household of faith. And if Philemon does this, he will welcome Onesimus back as if he were welcoming Paul. He will adopt the very attitude of Paul towards Onesimus, which is this, verse 12. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me. While I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced on you. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm sending back Onesimus to you because you must act willingly in loving concern as a Christian employer towards a Christian employee, a now brother in the faith. And I can't make that decision for you. So I'm sending them back to you. And you have to decide what you're going to do. You have to do this on your own. And not because I, Paul... And commanding you to do this. Remember, Paul is an apostle of Christ. So he's got tremendous authority over what's done in the church. And Onesimus, for his part, must come back repentant and contrite and useful to Philemon when before he was a useless thief and an ingrate. What is this? This is win-win. This is win-win. All rivalry, all segregation must end. Christian love must reveal. Faith in God must result in practical and righteous outcomes. Can you not see, brethren, how this little book of Philemon is the shot heard round the world when it came to to the death knell of slavery. This is the book they went to. How can we treat a fellow human being, a fellow brother in Christ, to be sure, here in the Christian community, but how can I treat a fellow human being as less than human when God created him as well as God created me? And does the color of his skin change that? does that make him less a child of God's creation? God was declaring war on man's caste system and declaring freedom for all men in Christ, a truth most admirably expressed by Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. Here's what he wrote. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with inherent and inalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Wow, what a statement. Created equal, endowed by the creator with the rights of liberty and freedom. May I say that no agnostic nation No agnostic nation or government operates on this principle which finds its roots alone in the teachings of Christ and his apostles. This brings us then to the finality of the Christian work ethic. The obligation of Christian employees, slaves in this text, Ephesians 6, verse 5 and following. Slaves, or uh, employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Wow. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, But like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, (coughs) serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's a slave or free. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. So the principles are these. Obey your earthly master, your boss, as you would your heavenly master. What's that? Well, with respect, with fear. Now, not everyone is going to have an earthly boss who is easy to get along with. I'm sure you've had them. I've had them. Maybe you will have one who in your mind is not worthy of your respect. He or she may epitomize the very things you despise. They have foul mouths that are coupled with dirty minds. They may, may be one who blames others for his or her own mistakes. They may be a person who demeans or belittles other employees, treating them worse than dirt. All of us have experienced these kind of people. And it's hard to respect such person. We usually say something like this. Well, you know, respect cannot be commanded. It has to be earned. What does the scripture say? Slaves obey your master with respect. This is not optional. Paul is not making a suggestion. He is commanding us to respect the boss. How are we to do this in light of some of the things that I just mentioned? How do you respect someone whose values and actions are so diametrically opposed to Christ and the gospel? that you are advocating for while you view him or her in terms of their position Paul said something similar to the church at Thessalonica concerning their leaders he wrote we urge you brethren to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake. Whoa, that's different. And be at peace among yourselves. first Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13. Their works sake? What does that mean? Well, it means their office, their position of leadership, be they elder or pastor or whatever, administrator. These command a certain respect, even if you have a beef with them on a personal level. Same holds true for any employer. Perhaps you are having a personality conflict. You just clash because of different values. Or you may not like how your boss conducts business. You think of him or her to be deceitful or pugnacious or two-faced. How am I going to respond to a guy like that? You ought to recognize what Paul wrote in Romans 13, verse 1 and following. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against the God who has instituted and those who do will bring judgment on themselves. Mm. Romans 13, 1 and 2. A master over a slave, a boss over an employee is in the position of authority, ready to, Where to respect them for their position and fear what might happen to us if we don't. And I think there is another aid to help us render respect, and that is to see the boss in his or her true Spiritual state. Spiritual state. Which is what? Dead in sin. That's what. Not a believer. Not a follower of the righteousness that's found in the scripture. Let me read on. Gratifying the cravings of their sinful nature, following its desires. And thoughts, Ephesians 2, verse 3. What are the thoughts and actions of the sinful nature? Ephesians 4, 17 and following. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more, for more, for more, for more. Ephesians 4, 17 and 5. Wow, that's a horrid list. Feudal in thinking, darkened in understanding, devoid of God life in their soul, ignorant of spiritual truth, hard-hearted towards God and the gospel, sold out to sensuality, having a hedonistic lifestyle, possessing an insatiable thirst for more of the same, give me more, give me more, give me more. We're told to respect them. Yes, you obey your earthly boss in all non sinful areas. If he doesn't call upon you to do something sinful, you respect them in, in that government. And I admit it's hard to respect a man like that, but as Christians, we can pity the man in this. He's a slave to sin. He's duped by the evil one. He's a product of self-indulgence and lust, a captain of the devil, as surely as if he were locked up in a dungeon with chains. Paul told Timothy that when people opposed him, Timothy should gently instruct them so that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. Have some understanding here, Timothy. Remember the days when you didn't know the Lord? Remember how you conducted yourself in society? Well, these men and women that you are ministering to, or trying to minister to, are in the same boat as you were. You need to have a little love and compassion. So the first charge is obey your earthly boss in all non-sinful areas. And secondly, the obedience we render is to be with sincerity of heart, verse 5, as unto Christ. The obedience is not to win brownie points when the boss is watching you. Verse 6. Not just to look good, but from the heart, verse 7, serving wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not man. Because you know the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Okay. So you were passed over for that promotion at work. So you didn't get the raise you expected. Somebody else did. So you have to take a day cut with no pay because of the bad economy. What do you do now? Do you slough off in your work? Do you abuse your break time by extending it? Do you steal office supplies? or company equipment. When I was in college and was home for summer break, I worked for Avco Lycoming, which produces the Lycoming airplane engine for all of Piper Aircraft. And there were employees who smuggled out all kinds of stuff in their metal lunchbox at the end of the day. And they knew whoever the guard was at the exit gate, if they knew that person and they could get away with it, then they would smuggle. If they didn't know that guard wasn't very peachy with them, then they wouldn't try to do something But they were stealing from the company not only so but during the work time their eight-hour shift they would go find a place in the company that was dark and not well known and they would take afternoon naps they might sleep four hours of their eight-hour shift just a form of thievery that was going As Christians, you may be required to fasten parts onto Ford or GM cars for your vocation. No, that's your job. Your vocation is to serve Christ. Your job is to put parts on the car. The word vocation comes from the Latin vocatives, meaning a summons, or a calling from which we get a voice. The word voice. Particularly, it means a divine call to the religious life. Oh, didn't know that. So it's God's summons to you to serve Him in what you do. Your job... Is how you make money to support your family. Your vocation is to represent Christ and godly principles in the work of day world. Two different things. Peter puts it this way. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. There's a judgment day coming, and the judge of the universe knows truth from error, right from wrong, no matter what is said to us or about us in this life. The obligation of Christian employers. Oh, wow. Called masters in our text. Verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In what same way? Well, verse 8. You know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. Oh, oh. I'm a master, but I'm under authority too. I can't just decide what I'm going to do Helder Skelter. The Bible endorses reward for good behavior, good performance, and a faithful, hardworking employee, yes, that's a valuable asset. But what about the master? The one that's the boss? Sadly, in today's economy, the push is on for cheap labor, not necessarily quality, quality labor. Companies are dumping the experience and the knowledgeable for the newbie who will work for peanuts but has no competent work ethic. Do we not hear reports on occasion about the sweet shops in India, the ones in China, other non-Christian nations whose supervisions extract blood, sweat, tears from their employees, paying them little while demanding much and growing rich off of the suffering of those they hire. This ought not to be in any company, but especially among Christian employers. And I have to say, and I'm not referring to any in our church, that in my tent making employment through the years the worst employers the worst employers that I had were professing Christians. What? Yeah. It was almost as though because they knew I was a believer they felt they did not have to be as diligent in pay raises, in promotions, or to avoid taking advantage of a brother who they just expected to work, work, work. We were expected to work above and beyond the call of duty. So they kind of took the position that we were doing them a favor, being Delta favor rather, because they're hiring you. Our text warns against favoritism, verse nine, and it also alerts us to the fact that all earthly bosses and their Christian employees have a master in heaven to which they must give an Let me read it for you. Colossians 4 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. There it is. Black and white. Peter summarizes. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. 1 Peter two sixteen and 17. And Paul shows the balance. He writes, For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freeman. You're a freeman. Similarly, he who is a freeman, when he was called by Christ, is Christ's slave. First Corinthians 7, verse 22. Things have changed. And the long and short of it is that in our vocational calling, every believer is bound by God to live for him in such a way as to magnify his glory and love, the brethren? You, my brothers, were called to be free, writes Paul, but do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love, Galatians 5.13. This is the Christian work ethic in a nutshell. So may God equip us to magnify him in this wicked world, hard, wicked world that we live in. We're to be loyal, respectful employees. And to live as our goal service to the saints. Caring employers, caring, excuse me, employees, caring managers or bosses. That's what the book of Philemon is all about. It's a little book of 25 verses. And let me tell you, it changed the world. Because the whole world was master, slave, master, slave. Think of Egypt, master, slave, Pharaoh, peasant. And we ought to understand it's all based upon who Christ is, our beloved Lord. Though he was a son, he humbled himself and became obedient all the way to the cross. Not touting who he was or how important that they came to serve. Lord, we thank you for your word. And our prayers come up to you with thanksgiving. Because we live in a world of selfishness. People are consumed about their self. What they're going to do, what they're going to get, what they're going to strive for, who they're going to overpower, how they're going to become more powerful in our society, and so forth and so forth. Going to get more money. Going to get the big car. Going to have the big house. On and on we go. Help us to see all that's going to perish. There's a fire coming. A firestorm the scripture talks about. Which will devour the entire earth and everything in it. So that there will be a new earth in the day of God's creation. God's recreation. Bless us and help us to get our priorities straight, to love one another genuinely, and for what we know that they that we should love them in Christ. For Your honor and Your glory, we pray these things. Amen. Closing hymn is 590 in Trinity. That's the red hymnal. We'll sing this hymn and then we're going to take like a 10-minute break and regather for our communion service, and uh, one of, one service will just follow the other, and then we're done for the day. Five ninety in the Trinity. 10-minute break. Mm -hmm. Come back when you hear the